2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. The title's found in verse 1 that says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. The simple title is Brethren, Pray for Us. Another title you could give it is How to Intelligently Pray for One Another. So let's ask the Lord now to help us. Father, we've opened your word and we've read it. And we now ask that you would help us to expound it. I stand where the arm of flesh can and will fail me. And there's nothing that I can say tonight to help your people. But the word of God is what we need. And so we ask, would you bless it tonight? And as we've just read, may the word of the Lord have free course among us and be glorified. And may Christ receive the glory and uh, may the saints be edified by your word tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Be seated, please. Thank you for standing. It's important for us to mention that Paul is writing this letter to a fairly mature church. This is his second letter to them. This is not brand new. Uh, this is a very simple truth he's writing, but it's also profound. They're able to handle something of this magnitude. In fact, he's been dealing with them about future things, about prophecy, about the day of the Lord, which is a very, very complex subject. And frankly, there was some confusion in the church in Thessalonica. And he is helping them to understand some deeper things. And that's important. We are fundamentalists in the sense of we hold to the fundamentals of the faith, but we believe the whole Bible from cover to cover. And those, you, you start with the fundamentals and you move on to the deeper things. And there's uh, such amazing truth. And in fact, the day of the Lord is the most prophesied about event in the scripture. We see it all throughout. And he's been dealing with that. With, the, with that with this church and at the end of chapter 2 he, he says this in verse 15 therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught whether by word or by our epistle so he encourages them he says stand fast hold to the traditions that you've been taught there's nothing wrong with tradition unless it's tradition for the sake of traditions but there is something good there's something safe about traditions in fact, there's a lot of things I don't know, and maybe this is wrong, but my way of thinking, if it's something I'm not sure about, I hold fast to the traditions I've been taught until I've been proven otherwise from Scripture. I mean, I, I think, well, this is a subject I'm not sure about, but good men that I trusted believe this. I'll stand there until the Bible shows me it else. And if the Bible says something that good men missed, I'll go with the Bible. But there is something safe about holding to traditions and to holding to the things that we've been taught. In the words of Bobby Robertson, he, he told me once, he said, you know what you do when you don't know what to do is you do what you know to do. Don't worry about what you don't know. Focus on what you do know and God will show you what you need to know as you need to know it. Here he's reminding them of the simplicity of holding to the traditions that they've been taught. To be steadfast and unmovable and to, uh, whether it be by word or by epistle. Meaning whether it's what was in the epistles we've written to you or things that we said to you when we were there ministering among you. Remember those things. Uh, a great preacher once said that the goal of a preacher should not be to be heard but to be repeated. 
Let me repeat that for you. That, I meant the, the pun there. The goal of a good preacher is not simply to be heard, but to be repeated. The goal is not just that you hear what the scripture says, but that you remember it, you repeat it, you're teaching your children, you're telling your neighbors. It's, it's growing from there. So he's telling them these things that you've been taught by our epistles or by our words. You remember this. We want you to stand there. Then he says, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, our God, and even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So he's strongly encouraging this church, reminding them that this great God of comfort we have will comfort their hearts and will guide them in every good work. I'm real glad about that. I'm glad that Jesus said, it's expedient for me to go away. For if I go away, I'll send you a comforter who will guide you in all truth and bring to remembrance the words that I've spoken. I'm very glad of that because I don't remember everything I need to remember, but the Spirit of God is never forgotten and he's guiding us and leading us. All of that is the context to bring us to Paul's final point to this church when he says, finally, brethren, pray for us. It's interesting, this is the great Apostle Paul asking this church to pray for him. Meaning, you all have proven yourself, you've grown in the Lord, I can trust you with this responsibility to pray for me. Certainly, he's been praying for them. Paul talks about having the care of all the churches on him. I can just imagine that burden. We joked earlier about small churches versus larger churches. Imagine what Paul had. He had the care of all the churches. He had a great responsibility on him. Therefore, for the people who were capable of understanding what he's doing, he said, would you guys pray for me? I've prayed for you. I've ministered to you. I've taught you. And I'm reminding you to stand where we've showed you. But while you're standing fast on the traditions you've learned, would you pray for us? This is huge. Again, this is so simple. Because we talk about prayer like it's no big deal anymore. You know, you find out someone's got a tragedy in their life and you ask them, well, anything we can do? Well, I guess all we can do is pray for you. It kind of bothers me when I catch myself saying that. All I can do is walk into the throne of God and talk to the King of glory about you. I mean, I'm sorry, I wish I could do more. That's pretty huge to be able to come boldly to the throne of grace where we can find help in time of need. Paul's asking them to pray for him. Not to simply say some magic words. Not to simply run through the prayer list real quick because the ball game's on. But to truly uh, beseech God on his behalf. Would you seek God on my behalf? This is huge. Finally, brethren, pray for us. And then he tells them how to do it. It's one thing to say we pray for one another. I hope you do. It's another to say you pray for your pastor. I hope you do. It's one to pray for other churches of like faith. I hope you do. And to pray for missionaries around the world. I hope you do. But Paul tells us here how to do it. Would you pray for us, number one, that the word of the Lord may have free course. This is an interesting request. We're literally told here to pray for the Bible. I mean, does the Bible really need prayer? Apparently, Paul thought it did because he said, would you pray that the word of the Lord would have free course? I'll give you some examples here. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing about his persecution. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says in verse 7, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble. He said, I want to remind you, Christ rose from the dead. That's the message I'm preaching, but it hasn't been a cheap message. I've had to suffer for this message. As an evildoer, as if I'm a criminal for preaching the gospel, even unto bonds. Paul many times has been arrested for preaching what you and I preach today, but then he makes the statement, but the word of God is not bound. You can lock up a preacher. You can try to silence a preacher. You can try to defame a preacher. By the way, have y'all ever looked up the reviews on y'all's church? People don't like y'all. Just because you had church during the pandemic. Can you believe that? People will defame you for doing what God has called us to do. And Paul said, I've been arrested, I've been bound, but the word of God is not bound. In fact, every time you read in scripture where God's people suffered, you see that the word of God increased and people believed and they were scattered abroad preaching the gospel. God seems to work best under persecution. When the church is persecuted, it usually grows. Paul says the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun pervain and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. In other words, he's saying this, our job is to be faithful, again, to hold fast to what we've been taught, to what is true, and if we must suffer for the truth's sake, we suffer knowing the word of God cannot be destroyed. The word of God is not bound. So we are to study, to know the word of God, to rightly divide it, to find out what truly matters in this life and just shun the things that are profane and vain, the things that won't matter. I mean, I'm kind of happy the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl, but at the, at the end of it all, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. So... Focus on what is important. Study the show that's self-approved unto God because the word of God is not bound. So when he tells them, finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord would have free course, doesn't that seem off? Why would you be praying that the word of God would be free when he also says it's not bound? Well, there's more to this. He goes on to say that it would have free course and be glorified. We understand the word of God is not bound. We understand in Isaiah that the word of God shall not return void. I don't know, I don't know why, but I, growing up in the South, I, you, know, you hear a lot of funny things with Southern preachers. Uh, I remember one time a, a preacher told me, if you ever do any kind of letter, anything you need to do for church business, anything, put scripture on it. He said, it won't get lost in the mail. Everything will work out because the word of God can't return void. So put scripture on everything and God's just got to bless it. Well, that makes good sense to me. But... Put scripture on everything. We're bound by scripture. Put scripture in everything. 
The word of God's not bound, but furthermore, it can't return void. But how did the people feel about the scripture? I read about Nehemiah where it says that he stood on a pulpit of wood and preached to them and read to them the entire law and they stood there and listened to every word. We got people started reading through the Bible in January and they're already getting nervous because they're getting close to Leviticus before long. Some of them never been past that. You know? Everybody okay? <laughs> you know it goes further than Leviticus, don't you? Y'all know Genesis real well, but it gets harder when you get to Leviticus. And then you get the Chronicles. And I mean, I'm really Southern. It's hard for me to pronounce those words. I butcher them. Oh, it's horrible. I, 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 when I'm at our church preaching, I get to one of those names and usually somebody in the back hollers out the name I'm stuck on. I'm, thank you for the help. I appreciate it. It's hard. But even if we can't pronounce every word, even if some of it is difficult, to be glorified means it's given a place of honor. To be glorified means that we don't just throw it on the dashboard and wait till next Sunday to use it. But to be glorified means that we see it for what it is. It is the infallible, inspired, indestructible word of God. And every we, we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We need the book. And the prayer request of Paul is that the word of the Lord would have free course and be glorified. Meaning that there is nothing hindering the word of God from being preached and that the people hearing it would reverence the word of God for what it is. That it is the written word of God. It is exactly what God has told us. It's not everything God knows, but it is everything he wants us to know. It's really important. So Paul's prayer request is that the word of God would have free course and be glorified. I really believe that our churches should be behind what is being preached and what's being done. And I hope, I hope I'm allowed to say this. Pastor Hanks can correct me if I'm wrong. But if you don't believe in the message of this church and you don't believe the Bible, go find you some church you can get behind. Get behind somebody you believe in. And if you, have, if you don't believe what's being preached here, then, then you need to find out why. Study to show yourself approved. I mean, go somewhere where you're behind it. I get worried about these people that are just kind of on the edge. It can go either way. You read of great churches in the past and men that God used, and there seems to be a common denominator. It's that the people were truly behind what was being done. I'll give you the example. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Everybody quotes Spurgeon. But did you realize that Spurgeon never sought to be the most well-known preacher in the English language? He was just a simple preacher. But what made Spurgeon unique is that when he preached, the people would sit there and take notes and they started publishing his sermons. And every time he would preach, over 3,000 copies of his sermon would be handed out in the streets of London afterward. Why? They thoroughly believed what their preacher was saying and they wanted everybody to know it. So when people would get that written message, they'd find out, where is this tabernacle? Where is this man? We want to go hear him. They asked Spurgeon, what is the secret to the success of the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle? And this was his answer. My people pray for me. Amen. That was the secret. They prayed for him. They believed in what he had to say. So Paul's prayer request is, would you pray that the word of God would have free course and be glorified that the people would thoroughly believe what God has said? There's other scriptures I can give. I'll mention this one briefly. Even in Philippians, Paul talks about there's some that preach, that preach Christ out of envy and strife, some not sincerely. 
Paul says, well, what then? Christ has preached, so I rejoice. Even if a guy gets up and halfway believes what he has to say and he's kind of, I don't know about it, didn't hardly study, was up too late last night, but you know, Jesus did die for sinners. Even if he reluctantly gives it, Christ has preached, so I'm happy about it. What if Joel Olstein accidentally quoted scripture today? Well, then Christ has preached and I'm happy about it. What if they go to the non-denominational church down the road and get saved? Then I'm happy about it. I met a guy in Colorado when I was pastoring there. I asked him if he was a Christian. He said, I got saved at Rick Warren's church. And I said, one more time. He said, well, I just showed up at the church. I sat down. I was going through a lot. So I was wiping some tears. And this usher came up to me and said, are you okay? And he said, no, I'm just depressed. He said, the usher sat down and took out a Bible and showed me how to be saved. And I was saved. He said, but I didn't stay at the church because I didn't really know what was going on there. I'm just glad I heard about Jesus. Well, I rejoice. Christ was preached and someone was saved. The power's in the gospel. Not the messenger, but the message. John the Baptist said, they said, are you Elias? Are you that prophet? Are you the Christ? He says, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Oh, you're the voice. You're important, right? Oh, no, I can't even untie his shoes. I'm not even what the lowest slave could be. I'm just a voice. That's all I am. But yet Jesus said of him, there's none greater than the one who said, I'm just a voice. Why? The power is in the scripture. So we pray that the word of God would have free course and be glorified. You know it when you feel it. If you've ever been in one of those churches, there's two things I love to do. I love to go to good churches and I love to go to bad churches. There's two things that make me feel like preaching, good preaching and bad preaching. And when you go to a church where you just feel like you, you can't say what you really need to say, there's no liberty there. Boy, you really need prayer at that point. But then there's other times you feel like you can preach about how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and everybody's going to shout her out and have a good time. You know it when it's there. And Paul says, would you pray that I would have the liberty to preach the gospel even as it is with you? Implying that at Thessalonica, Paul had liberty to say what needed to be said. Implying that these people reverenced the word of God. They were heeding the word of God. They wanted to do what God required. Everything's good. He said, would you pray that everywhere I go, I would have that same experience wherever I am. But then there's another part of this prayer request. He also says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. I don't know if I have to really convince you of this, but do you know that not everybody's a Christian? Do you know there's some people that hate what we stand for? Half of them are at the Capitol right now. They hate us. I'm not saying they just don't like us, that we're annoying to them. I mean they would much rather this place be a bar. They despise everything you stand for. And we'd be naive to say, well, they're just a little different. No, they hate us. We need to understand that because in the same view of the Apostle Paul, I'm going to preach. I want to have liberty. I want people to heed the preaching. I also pray, would you ask, would you pray for me that we'd be delivered from these unreasonable wicked men? And he called names. He said, Alexander the coppersmith and these others, they're hindering us. They're fighting us. They're our enemies. Would you pray God would deliver us? You guys did that very thing tonight with the situation you're in as a church You prayed for deliverance from an unreasonable, wicked situation, it sounds like. And when that one's over, you'll have another. 
There's always an enemy. There's always a battle. You realize everywhere Jesus went in the same day, he's casting out devils and seeing these wonderful works. He's healing the, de the deaf and the blind and the dumb. He's having miracles at the same time there's demons involved. In the same day. One way you know, that you'll know that you're following Christ is when you're dealing with miracles and demons at the same time. Because God is for us, but there is somebody against us. And if we don't have any devils against us, it makes me wondering if we're making any difference. I get nervous when things are going too well. It means what am I compromising on in my mind? Paul said, would you pray we'd be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men? Sometimes, can I be so blunt to say, sometimes we suffer because we're dumb. Anybody else like that or is it just me? It might be just me. Sometimes life is hard because we make bad decisions. Paul, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 4 when he says, if any man suffers as an evildoer or any of those things, he said, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him glorify God. If, you're, if you make a bad decision, break the law and go to jail, then I'm really sorry that happened, but that's how it goes. As I said in the South, you can't shack up with the devil and expect God to pay rent. You make a bad decision, you're going to have to face consequences. It's going to happen. But yet if you're suffering as a Christian, you should glorify God for that. It, it, Jesus said, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. I remember a few years ago, I was in a situation. I was being lied about. My wife was being lied about. We had terrible things. And I called a, a friend, Dr. Tom Williams, and I asked him, man, what am I going to do? They're lying about me. And he said, well, praise the Lord. I said, for what? He said, at least they had the lie. At least it isn't true. Jesus said, it's a blessing when they're lying about you. Peter said, if you suffer as a Christian, you glorify God. That means the next time you find out you're being lied about, you ought to have a shout and spell and be glad. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But yet, that's what it says. Glorify God. Paul says, not everyone is a Christian. Some are against us. They're unreasonable. You can't talk your way out of that. They're wicked. For all men have not faith. But yet he tells this church, the Lord is faithful. Remember that. The Lord is faithful. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. If it was an enemy that reproached me, I could have borne it. But it was thou, a man mine equal, mine acquaintance, my guy. We took sweet counsel together. Sometimes it's your own friends that stab you in the back. But yet when David was suffering, saying, Lord, they're increased against me. There be many that say there's no hope of God. He then said, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of mine head. In the midst of persecution, all these men through scriptures remind us the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. But then Paul makes it real clear. We have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. It's better to put confidence in God than in man. He said, we're confident the Lord is going to bring us to your memory and remind you of your need to pray for us. All of that to bring this conclusion. The two things that we should constantly pray for your pastor, pray for your missionaries, pray for other churches, pray for this church is this. Number one, you pray that the word of God would have free course and be glorified and that there would be liberty in preaching. That the people would respond. That when the preacher gets up and says, thus saith the Lord, the people say, amen and do it. Amen. The second part of the request is that when the enemy rises his head, that God will defeat the enemy and we can press forward. 
By the way, you should read the Psalms and read it with a new perspective. We, we read that verse, it's so beautiful. Be still and know that I am God, Psalms 46. We apply that to everything. You ever read the whole Psalm? Come behold what desolation the Lord hath wrought on the earth. The whole, ver the whole chapter is about God absolutely whomper jumping everybody. Absolutely whooping everybody. And when it says, be still and know I'm God, in my mind it looks like this. We're all going to be standing very still and ain't nobody going to wonder who God is. Because we just watched him absolutely whoop everybody and we're going to be there like, that's him all right. He is powerful. He is going to win. But yet, as we're in these battles, we need God to deliver us from unreasonable wicked men, don't we? Now here's why this is so relevant. Think about it and challenge me if you can. Name any situation that this church or any church will ever face that this prayer does not touch. Every problem at this church and my church and everybody else's church is this. People that don't take heed to the word of God and people that hate the word of God. The first request is not people that hate it, but just people that aren't heeding to it. It doesn't have free course. Yeah, I know the Bible says this, but... Uh-uh. We're praying that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to pierce the hearts of the people of God to know the will of God and to do it. Amen. You see, we're praying that when people hear it, they do it. That sums up most of our problems if we would just do what God said. Amen. Somebody asked me the other day, he said, well, how come Chick-fil-A is so expensive? I said, because y'all don't tithe and the Lord's going to get his money one way or the other. <laughs> I wish I came up with that. I'm not that funny. But... What did that have to do with this message? I don't remember. Uh, if people would just do what's right, that solves 99% of the problems in a church is when saved people don't do what God said. But then there's also the area of it's not saved people, but it's our enemies. We need God to deliver us from them. So when you pray this way, you're saying so much in that prayer. You don't know everything your pastor's dealing with. You don't know everything that our church is dealing with or other churches, what your missionaries are dealing with. But if you will pray the scripture, I believe in praying scripture. If you ever don't feel like praying and you're just feeling honoring and full of yourself, I'd like to pray Psalms 139. Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my thought afar off. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a thought in my mind that you don't know, God, so I can be really honest with you. I like praying scripture. So I've learned to pray this, and God has blessed this type of praying. As a pastor in Topeka, I can say, God, would you bless the Heritage Baptist Church in Lawrence? I pray that the word of God would have free course there and be glorified and would you deliver them from unreasonable wicked men. I didn't know anything about this situation y'all are dealing with tonight. But if I prayed that, then I've been praying for that situation without even knowing about it because I was praying about the unreasonable wicked men you're facing. You see why this intelligent way of praying is powerful. But also it ought to be that you can say, would you bless that missionary, bless that church, even as you're doing here. This church ought to be the type of church that you can say, Lord, would you let them have the kind of liberty and glory that we felt here today? It ought to be that way. So I'm asking you as a pastor a few miles up the road, would you pray for me and for our church that the word of the Lord would have free course there and be glorified even as it is here? And that God would deliver us from unreasonable wicked men because the Lord knows they're in Topeka? A lot of them. <laughs> and in return, I'll pray for you. You pray for me. I want to have confidence in you that you'll pray 
for us. And I hope you can have confidence in me to pray this way. This is such a simple thing that Paul said, but yet it is so profound. So would you pray intelligently for one another? Pray for us. And we have this confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. Let's pray together.